Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, everyone. Hope you're having a tremendous Monday. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Zuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. We've got another fun show for you as Curtis Rogers of 710 out there in Seattle, ESPN 710. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to talk a little bit about the Seattle Mariners using openers. We're going to talk about the landscape of the American League, some of the deals that we might be seeing going down, some teams that might be buyers and sellers, and just some under-the-radar teams in general that we think are going to heat up the next few weeks. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, though, you guys asked me a couple Twitter questions, and you know what? I've got some answers. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Neil Prusky, you can follow him on Twitter, at Neil Prusky, last name spelled P-R-U-S-K-I-S, at Junior41. About midway through last year, you started playing run lines. This year, you added reverse run lines. What's your thoughts about adding minus 2.5 runs on some of these big road favorites when you don't like the dog at all to get a decent price? This is one of those things where I don't think I'm going to be adding it anytime soon. I might be looking into it, but what I find in baseball is that the most common amount of runs that a team wins by is it feels like two runs. I would need to do a little bit more research on it, but I do feel like two runs is essentially that big 
marker. And another thing that we find is that not a lot of shops offer minus two and a half runs. They offer the regular run line. They offer the reverse run line where you can take minus one and a half runs with the underdog and everything like that. Not so many allow you to go minus two and a half, allow you to go minus three and a half, things like that. So for one, I would need more shops to be able to offer it in order to be able to make it worth my while. And for two, it is something where I do think it would be a roll of the dice. I would need to look at it a little bit more, but I think that minus a run and a half, meaning that I have to win by two runs, is probably where I'm going to be drawing the line. This one comes to me from ABTD. He goes on Twitter by the name ABTD20 at GNRSquare D1. What's your thoughts on books offering specific player home run lines? Fool's gold? Question mark. And he reiterated that the over-under is like a half a run for different players, and it varies from plus 450 to plus 1450. This is something that personally I'm not going to be diving into. I'd like to stick to full games and everything like that. But if you were to place on these props, what I think could be something that you could potentially make some money on is teams that just throughout their career just own a specific pitcher or own a specific team. We see it with a couple different guys. It just feels like no matter when they're playing, it feels like Javi Baez does a very good job of being able to really rake against the St. Louis Cardinals. You notice a pitcher is giving up a lot of fly balls or giving up a bunch of hard contact like David Hess of the Baltimore Orioles who's given up like 18 home runs so far this year. You might be wanting to look at some more of those individual player home run props. It's not something I'm going to do personally unless if I really see that it's tried and true and I can make some money off of it. But I would think that if you do enough research on it and you put in the work, you figure out the matchups and you figure out what players are good against specific pitchers and teams and you figure out which pitchers are lending themselves hard contact, this actually could be something very intriguing. So that is my thoughts on it. Not something I'm going to play personally, but it is something that I guess is now on the radar because I didn't know about it until now. So I appreciate those questions and I appreciate you guys listening. And Let's try to appreciate the fact that we're going to be able to find some trends here by taking a look back at yesterday's results and becoming better handicappers from it. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. If you're looking for some plus money in baseball, look no further than the Tampa Bay Rays run line. Of their 40 wins, 36 have by two plus runs. And on Sunday, they take down the Boston Red Sox by a count of 6-1. Blake Snell, after losing his last start to the Detroit Tigers, was tremendous in this game. Six innings pitch, he gives up five hits, one earned run, and then from there, the bullpen able to close the door. As for the Tampa Bay Rays, whole lot of solo shots in this one. Yandy Diaz, his 10th home run of the year. Guillermo Heredia, his second dinger. Brandon Lowe goes deep twice for his 12th and 13th home runs of the year, as in this one, Eduardo Rodriguez for the Boston Red Sox, who I must say has a better fielding independent than would necessarily show through on his 5.00 ERA so far this year. Got touched up in this one. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up four runs, two of those home runs, and then Marcus Walden gives up two dingers of his own. He gives up two runs while recording just one out. Obviously, things not going the way of the Red Sox now as they're back down to 34 and 32 as the Rays take three of four in that set. The Cincinnati Reds were able to get a nice 4-3 win over the Philadelphia Phillies on Sunday. As for the Reds, Sonny Gray delivers another start in which he doesn't get a win. This guy just continues to be very decent. Not very great, not very awful. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But then from there, the Reds bullpen, which is one of the best 
out there in the big leagues, does their job. Three and a third innings. They do not give up a single run. Zach Duke, Michael Lorenzen, Amir Garrett, and Rossi Iglesias were able to do the job there. And for the Cincinnati Reds, they didn't have any players go yard in this one, but they just consistently had players on base as they were able to play small ball to get to four runs. As for the Philadelphia Phillies, a lot of small ball from them as well, but the difference in this game is that they had a couple guys get caught stealing, including Bryce Harper, just some not-so-good base running there, and Aaron Nola. Had a decent start in this one. Nothing great, nothing awful from him as well. Six and two-thirds innings, gives up three runs, all of which were. And then, then Jose Alvarez in the seventh inning gives up a run in relief of Aaron Nola. He wound up taking the loss in that one. And J.D. Hammer did not get hammered, as in his inning of relief. He did not give up a single run. A guy that did get hammered, Clay Richard of the Toronto Blue Jays, as it was an 8-2 and two win for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I guess I should call him more formally Clayton Richard, who now is a 7-0-4 ERA, and he was being just made into cremation in this one. Two and two-thirds innings, gives up seven runs, all of which were earned, and a Toronto Blue Jays bullpen that has been hitting the fritz recently. Actually looked decent on Sunday. Six and a third innings, they give up a combined one run. They did their job, and Lords Goriel Jr. winds up going deep for his fifth home run of the year. That's really the only good sign that the Toronto Blue Jays got on Sunday as Robbie Ray winds up going six and two-thirds innings, gives up two runs pretty much off of that home run. That was the only damage that the Toronto Blue Jays were able to get as Archie Bradley and Lopez were able to come out of the bullpen and pitch very well. And then for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Cattell Marte, a guy who a couple years ago had just one home run for the Seattle Mariners, hits his 15th of the year and Carson Kelly, his 7th as the Diamondbacks sweep that series. This is a team that's heating up. Another team that seems to be heading in the right direction, the New York Mets. They take down the Colorado Rockies by a count of 6-1. to In this one, Noah Syndergaard, one of his better starts of the year. Not quite as good as his complete game in which he hit the lone run of the game via a home run, but in 7 innings, Gives up just one hit, lowers his ERA to a 4-4-5. And then from there, the Mets bullpen had a run given up by Hector Santiago, but all in all, a very good day. As Todd Frazier, the Todd father, goes deep for his sixth home run of the year. And Jeff Hoffman, a pitcher you've got to be fading. For the Colorado Rockies, he goes four and two-thirds innings, gives up six runs, all of which were earned. Cesar Estevez and Chad Bettis were able to bridge three and a third innings together to be able to hold down the under, but... All in all, a bad day for the Colorado Rockies. A very bad day for Ryan Carpenter and the Detroit Tigers on Sunday. As the Minnesota Twins win that game by a count of 12-2 for Carpenter. Goes three and two-thirds innings. He gives up eight runs, all of which were earned. Needless to say, not good there. And then Carlos Torres comes out of the bullpen. He gives up three runs in two innings. Carpenter now is a 789 ERA. Mr. Torres, a 13 for the Detroit Tigers. They were able to get a lot of men on base, but they weren't able to drive them in one for ten with men in scoring position. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, Jake Odorizzi did a very good job of being able to pitch out of landmines. In six innings pitch, he wound up giving up two runs and then out of the bullpen. Mike Morin gave up a run as well, but he's has a 135 ERA, so he's been all in all good. The Twins left ten men on base, by the way, while scoring 12 runs. That's how good their offense was. Nelson Cruz Goes yard off of Ryan Carpenter for his 11th home run of the year. Miguel Sano, likewise, his sixth singer of the year. And Eddie Rosario now somehow, someway has 19 home runs. He went deep in the seventh inning, and Byron Buxton hits a home run for his eighth of the year. So a lot of offense in that game. The offense in the Braves versus Marlins game all came late as the Atlanta Braves enter into the ninth inning of their game against the Miami Marlins, down by a count of 1-5. to five. And then lo and behold, they get four runs out of Sergio Romo. And I know his name is Sergio Romo, 
but he submerged this game. As in his one inning, he gave up four runs and it really squandered a good start from one Pablo Lopez. For Mr. Lopez, he wound up giving up just one run in six innings, looked very good. And then from there, the Miami Marlins bullpen wound up not being able to get the win as Tyler Kinney wound up giving up a run and Adam Conley as well. For the Atlanta Braves, the big shot in this one came off of Romo and it was Ronald Cunha Jr. providing a three-run home run, his 14th of the year, as Max Freed has been coming back to earth a little bit with regards to his pitching. Not a great start, but not an awful one. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs off, which were earned. And then Tuki Toussaint of the bullpen gives up two runs. Luke Jackson had a chance to close this game out in the 10th. He wound up giving up a run, but then from there, the Atlanta Braves bullpen was able to get the job done. Another team that was able to get the job done, they wound up using their wholesale approach, and it was the New York Yankees. They get a 7-6 win in 10 innings. It was just a little bit of everyone that wound up seeing the field for the New York Yankees as Nestor Cortez Jr. wound up pitching three innings very well. It was Tommy Canely, though, that got blown up. One inning pitch, he gave up four runs, all of which were earned. Roldis Chapman gave up an unearned run as well, but all in all, the Yankees were able to do their job, as did Brett Gardner. He had his ninth home run of the year. That was off of Shane Bieber, who just got completely obliterated in the start. He recorded five outs, and he gave up five runs, all of which were earned, including that home run. And then from there, the Cleveland Indians had to use a bunch of bullpen arms as everyone that entered the game as a pitcher for the Cleveland Indians recorded either four or five outs. I can't remember ever seeing anything like it before in my life, and I can't remember the Cleveland Indians getting so much power as they seem to be actually heading in the right direction there. Leonis Martin goes deep for his eighth home run of the year. Mike Freeman, his first of the campaign, and Jake Bowers, his seventh, but was not enough as the Yankees were able to outduel the Cleveland Indians in the Battle of the Bullpens. The bullpen was not needed for the Baltimore Orioles because it's hard to win a game in which you score zero runs. They wind up falling to the Houston Astros by a count of 4-0. Dylan Bundy, once again, not a bad start in this one. He actually seems to be coming around as a pitcher. He winds up going six innings. He gives up three runs, two of which were earned. Evan Phillips winds up giving up a run out of the bullpen as well. But for the Baltimore Orioles, only a grand total of six, six hits in this game. They just weren't really able to muster anything out of Wade Miley. He was having a party in this one, and it was in the USA. Six innings pitch, does not give up a single run, lowers his ERA to a 3-1-4. And then from there, all the bullpen arms of the Houston Astros did a terrific job as for the Houston Astros, it was a first-timer getting the big hit of this game. Jordan Alvarez, his first home run of the year. That was a big supply of power for the Houston Astros there. The Milwaukee Brewers get down by a count of 2-0 against the Pittsburgh Pirates, but then they score 5 unanswered to be able to take this game by a count of 5-2. Josh Hader is able to close the door in the ninth inning after a little bit of a rough go of it early. Chase Anderson was able to settle down. He goes 6 innings, gives up 2 runs, all of which were earned. Those 2 runs came off the bat of Jung-Ho Kung who hits his fifth home run of the year. Very good sign for the Pirates, as this is a man that's currently hitting a buck 37. And Stephen Brault actually has been doing a decent job as a starter for this team. I will say he's improved himself. Six and a third innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. But Francisco Lariano, one of the more trustworthy arms out there in the bullpen, gives up three runs, including a home run without recording a single out. For the Milwaukee Brewers, Mike Moustakis went deep off of him. That was his 20th home run of the year. And then Stephen Brault gave up an inning of his own. That was to a man that is just lighting the world on fire, though. Christian Yelich, his 24th home run of the year. The Chicago White Sox were able to light up the Kansas City Royals by a count of 5-2 as Eloy Jimenez hit a over 470-foot shot off of Glenn Sparkman. He goes deep for his 8th home run of the year. That set the tempo for the Chicago White Sox as Ronaldo Lopez... 
a man that has been one of the worst starters out there in the big leagues, delivered a gem in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up one run. Got to give him a lot of credit there. Governor Herrera gives up a run in the bullpen. He has a 7-1-3 RA. He's really the lone guy in the White Sox bullpen that you have to be concerned about. But all in all, good day here for the White Sox as for Sparkman. He actually wasn't bad in this one. Six and two-thirds innings. Gives up three runs, two of which were now as a 3.58 ERA. He's actually proven himself to be a decent starter. And Jorge Soler is 17th home run of the year. But for the Kansas City Royals, the fact that they couldn't hit Ronaldo Lopez, obviously not a good sign. Not a good sign if you had the Oakland A's run line as the A's at one point in this game were leading very commandingly. They had a 8-0 lead, and they wind up winning by only a count of 9-8. Obviously, if you had the money line, very good for you there. But for the Oakland A's, Frankie Montas, once again, a good start. Six innings pitch, gives up three runs, two of which were earned, including a home run. The lone supply of power in regards to home runs for the Texas Rangers came off the bat of Ezreal Cabrera, his 10th of the year, as the Oakland A's were able to get a very good home run from Chris Davis, his 13th of the year. This is a man that has been really struggling with the power ever since the first few weeks of the year. And then Matt Olson goes deep for his 9th of the year. It's Drew Smiley. He just continues to be perhaps the worst starter out there in the big leagues. Worse than when you had Shelby Miller, who came in in relief and gave up three runs afterwards, by the way. Worse than when he was starting and everything like that. Drew Smiley, 840 RA. Shelby Miller, 947. So these guys are in competition. From there, the bullpen was actually pretty decent. And for the A's, their bullpen really let them down in this one. They wound up having Lou Trevino record two outs and give up three runs. And Blake Trine gives up two runs, one of which was earned in an inning of relief as well. Obviously, some shenanigans going down in Texas on Sunday. No shenanigans going down in the city of Los Angeles, though, as the Seattle Mariners just completely pulverized the LA Angels by a count of 9-3. We'll get more on the Seattle Mariners in the next segment from our man Curtis Rogers, based out there in Seattle. But how about Edwin Encarnacion? His... 19th and 20th home runs of the year. He had two in this game for number 399 and 400 of his career. Kyle Seeger goes deep for his fourth thinger of the year. Daniel Vogelbach is 16th. And then Thomas Murphy goes deep twice for his sixth and seventh home runs of the year. You count that up, that is a grand total of six home runs for their nine runs. As in this one, Mr. Hors- Mr. Jose Suarez. Who had a very good start the last time he squared off against the Seattle Mariners. This time it actually wasn't awful. He only gave up two runs, both of which were earned in four and two-thirds innings. But the bullpen, oh gosh, Cody Allen gives up two home runs while recording one out. And then Nick Torpiano gives up three dingers in three and two-thirds innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. Lone bright spot for the Angels. Tommy Lasella goes deep for his 15th home run of the year. The L.A. Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants played the lowest scoring game possible as the Dodgers get a 1-0 win over the San Francisco Giants. In this one, the Dodgers' lone source of power came in the first inning. A Max Muncy solo shot is 13th home run of the year, and Walker Buehler was amazing. Seven innings pitch, he gets nine strikeouts, gives up five hits, no earned runs, and then from there, Pedro Baez and Kenley Jansen shut the door. As for the San Francisco Giants, they got a great start out of Madison Baumgartner. He's been a little bit hot and cold. He's not the pitcher that he once was, but still a very good start. Seven innings pitch, he gives up that solo home run. Problem was, the offense of the San Francisco Giants just continues to be a little bit invisible at this point. They just weren't able to generate anything. And then you also had Tom Watson and Will Smith being able to provide an inning of relief there. The Washington Nationals. Didn't need a whole lot of relief as they got a good start out of Steven Strasburg. And they take down the San Diego Padres by a count of 5-2. And this one, Strasburg. Seven innings pitch. He gives up just one earned run. You did have a run given up out of the bullpen of the Washington Nationals by Matt Grace. But 
Two innings pitch, they give up one run. That's actually pretty good for them as the Washington Nationals blew this game open in the eighth inning. Craig Saman, who has been very reliable for the San Diego Padres, gives up back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs. That is four in a row. If you're listening to Fox Sports' coverage of bowling, that would be a ham bone if you've ever listened to Rob Stone. And yes, I am a former college bowler, so I actually know that. Doing the power for the Washington Nationals. Howie Kendrick is 11th home run of the year. Adam Eaton is 6th home run of the year. Anthony Rendon is 12th home run. And Trey Turner, Turner down for what? His 4th home run of the year. And to cap things off, it was the Chicago Cubs defeating the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 5-1. In this one, Kyle Hendricks turns another gem. 7 innings pitch. He gives up just 1 run. This man is lethal at home. And then from there, the bullpen of the Chicago Cubs, who, oh, by the way, are going to be having reinforcements on the way with the signing of Craig Kimbrell. They wind up going two innings, giving up just one hit, no earned run. So obviously a good sign there as Carlos Gonzalez, another acquisition for the Chicago Cubs, provided the lone home run of the game. He got his eighth home run of the year off of Carlos Martinez as he wound up giving up that run in relief, but it was Adam Wainwright that really did the team in. Four and a third innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they had plenty of chances, but they left nine men on base and they weren't able to really do any damage with it. So what did we all learn from this Sunday? The Tampa Bay Rays just continue to win games by two-plus runs. The Philadelphia Phillies are feast or famine with their bats. The Arizona Diamondbacks have really heated up. The Colorado Rockies seem to be on a little bit of a downturn as Jeff Hoffman is a pitcher that you cannot trust. The Minnesota Twins are just continuing to hit home runs. The New York Yankees are also doing a terrific job with their offense, and the wholesale approach seems to be working for them. You can't trust in the Miami Marlins bullpen. The Baltimore Orioles are having some problems scoring runs with the Milwaukee Brewers. They just continue to own the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Chicago White Sox are getting some power out of Eloy Jimenez, and they're getting some very good pitching as well. The Texas Rangers have a guy in Drew Smiley that you never want to bet on ever. The Seattle Mariners continue to play overs. The L.A. Dodgers are continuing to get terrific pitching from their starters. Steven Strasburg appears to be doing a very good job, and the Padres' bullpen may have drawn a leak, and Kyle Hendricks continues to be magical at home. So that was Sunday. Now let's take a little bit more of a look at the AL in general and just some teams that we think are heating up. And coming up next here on MLB Overtime, joining me is one Curtis Rogers out there with 710 ESPN in Seattle. And that is up next right here on MLB Overtime. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. 399 and 400 career home runs. So he's got 20 on the season. It's weird how the Mariners have gotten to the point where you look at a lot of guys on this team having really good seasons, and Carnacion kind of chief among them. You've got the catching position with Omar Narvaez and Tom Murphy both having really good seasons. In fact, those two guys have combined for the second most home runs out of the catching position of any team in baseball. So they're getting tremendous offensive production from a spot where that doesn't normally happen. But then there are other guys on the team that have just been dreadful. And there's no easy way to say it. You've got Malik Smith, who has been just a, a awful at the plate and defensively has not been much to write home about either. The bullpen has been terrible. They're still trying to find anybody that can come out from the bullpen. They've used 32 pitchers this season already. They've used 
50 players in total. The major league record is 60 set by the 2014 Texas Rangers. That is clearly in jeopardy of being broken because we're just on June 9th. We're still got July, August, and September to go. September call to anyone. Exactly. And so the Mariners right now, they're 28 and 41 heading into Monday, but it's certainly the roundabout way they've gotten to 28 and 41 certainly hasn't been boring for anybody here in Seattle to watch. No, it is not. And what in the world are they doing with this whole opener ordeal? We saw it completely backfire when late Wade LeBlanc wound up giving eight good innings against, I believe it was the Houston Astros. But the opener gave up three. I know that it worked on Sunday, but why are they trying the opener? Because it's clearly not their forte, especially with their bullpen being so bad. Yeah, I mean, the opener situation, it's been interesting to watch it be implemented across Major League Baseball. The Rays, really the first team to make it popular. And I think what they have been able to do and have so much success with it is they have sort of train their relief pitchers to be ready at any point. And I don't think the Mariners have done that as as well as any other team because before this season, they've never used it. And they've only started using it just the last couple of weeks here when it's been Tommy Malone's turn in the rotation and then Wade LeBlanc, two pitchers who are very similar in how they go about their game where they're both soft-tossing left-handers. You mentioned that the first two times they used it was awful. And it was two games that were very winnable. You mentioned Wade LeBlanc going eight strong innings following the three runs that Corey Gearin allowed. And then on Thursday of this last week, Austin Adams came in against the Astros, gave up three runs in the first inning, and the Mariners lost in 14 innings. So two games that were very winnable. They didn't get enough from their opener. On Sunday, Austin Adams again used as an opener against the Angels. Gave him a, a scoreless first inning, a 1-2-3 inning against an Angels top of the lineup that is very dangerous. Tommy Lestella in the leadoff spot who's having a career season. Mike Trout, you know what you got with him. And then Shohei Otani, the DH, struck out Trout and Otani in the second and third batters of that inning. So it really set up the Mariners in a good way. They were able to put runs on the board in the second inning, and Wade LeBlanc went six strong innings. I think LeBlanc has been the biggest beneficiary of this whole thing, going eight strong against the Astros and then six strong on Sunday against the Angels. He's benefiting from it, but I don't know if the Mariners themselves are benefiting from it. But it certainly makes for these games something to watch out for. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be something. Baseball gets managed now much more incrementally than it did over the course of the previous 100-plus years of baseball, where most at-bats are are managed to such minute details rather than in the past where you kind of just roll out your guys and see what happens. You know, you get a scouting report. You kind of know what you're going up against. But today's game, there's so much detail that goes into every pitch that I think teams that aren't competing talent-wise are looking for any type of, of inefficiency or any type of, I guess, market uh, inefficiency that they can take advantage of. You know, the Rays, they're not going to be able to attract top-end free agents. They're not going to be able to attract, you know, the superstar players that the Yankees and Red Sox in that same division are able to get year in and year out. 
So what they've done is looked outside the box, and they have tried to change the game and how it's played, and they're having success with it. The Mariners, unfortunately, I mean, their bullpen's bad no matter the inning they come in, whether it be the first inning or the ninth inning. If you're running out an opener, it's it's great in theory, but you've got to have good relief pitchers to be able to implement it with success, and the Mariners, unfortunately, they don't have that, so that's why we've seen it two out of three times now. They've struggled to find success with that opener. It's much like the age-old adage: hard to be a home run hitting team when you have nobody on your team that can hit a home run, as it's Curtis Rogers joining me <laughs> right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And you do talk about the Tampa Bay Rays and how they've really been the team that has made the opener cool, I guess you could say. They haven't been attracting too many good free agents, but their best free agent acquisition is going to be going on the bump on Monday in Charlie Morton. It looks like he's going to be going up against someone by the name of Tanner Anderson, who had an ERA above six when he pitched for the Pittsburgh Pirates last year, and obviously the Tampa Bay Rays are going to be a favorite here. What have you seen out of the Tampa Bay Rays so far this year? Because I'm so intrigued by this team. In 36 of their 40 games that they've won, they've won by two-plus runs. This is a team that just seems like does a little bit of everything. I think that one of the most underrated players out there in baseball is Austin Meadows and all that he's doing. And then you've just got so many guys that it just feels like know their role. Yeah, I, I mean, they are a very deep team. And you've got Charlie Morton, like you mentioned, and, and just how good he is. What's interesting is the Mariners have yet to play the Rays this season head-to-head. So, unfortunately, I haven't been able to see them like in person so far, at least playing the Mariners. But from what I've seen from afar... They're a very good team. They're a very deep team. Charlie Morton, 7-0, and one of the best free agent pickups of this last offseason. You pair him with Blake Snell atop that Tampa Bay rotation. Yeah, they like to use the opener, but when you've got Morton and Snell atop your, your starting five, I mean, all of a sudden now, you're not having to use that opener as much as possible. You mentioned Austin Meadows. What a pickup he's been. They dealt Chris Archer a year ago. They got Austin Meadows. They also got Tyler Glass now in that trade glass now currently on the shelf but i mean those two pieces when healthy i mean what a fleecing the rays did to pittsburgh last trade deadline especially with chris archer's struggles this season i think tampa bay is a team that's going to be here to stay they've got the what third best run differential in the american league right now but they're just a run away from the second best behind minnesota and houston they're 40 and 24, tied atop the division with the Yankees. I think it's going to be Tampa and New York fighting for that AL East crown the rest of the way. Boston, they're still within striking distance, seven back only in June, and then they're going to probably compete for the AL wild card. But I look at the Rays right now. I don't know how competitive they're going to be in October, but I certainly see them finishing in that 95 win range this season. And I think they've got tremendous talent on that ball club. They've got an incredible scouting department. They've been one of the best teams in the American League just from a wins standpoint over the last decade. I mean, they're they're consistently competitive in the American League East, and yet they do it without the biggest names in baseball. I mean, yeah, they've had David Price and Evan Longoria and Chris Archer and all guys who have been household names at some point along the way. But they haven't been guys who have gone out and, you know, played for other teams and have been, you know, they haven't been free agent additions the way Charlie Morton has. So it's interesting to see Tampa Bay kind of, you know, use that market that they haven't done so much. And I, I expect them to be active at the trade deadline as well. 
They were active this offseason trading for Mike Zanino to be their catcher. And, you know, you look at their lineup, DH was a big question mark heading into this season, and they were very much in on Nelson Cruz, who ended up signing with the Twins. And, you know, you look at him and what he's done for Minnesota. He's hit home runs in four consecutive games since coming off the injured list. If Tampa Bay had landed Nelson Cruz, who knows where they would be? Who knows where Minnesota would be? Without him, we talked about the Mariners just a little bit ago and Edwin Encarnacion, who I imagine is going to be one of the most sought after trade pieces come July 31st. Tampa Bay seems like a, a pretty obvious fit for him, depending on how much they want to kick in and help the Mariners out financially. I think Tampa Bay is going to be, uh, they're going to make a lot of noise. And you look at that away record, 23 and 10 away from Tropicana Field. It's not so surprising, though, considering how dingy Tropicana Field is. And, you know, I would love to not play my games there if I were a Tampa Bay Ray. <laughs> you want to get away? That's exactly what the Tampa Bay Rays have wanted, as we do have Curtis Rogers joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And some other team that I'm noticing that has been doing some very good things recently. How about the Arizona Diamondbacks? Heading north of the border and just completely sweeping the Toronto Blue Jays. This is a team that I don't think is going to make the playoffs, but I do think that the Arizona Diamondbacks are a very intriguing team. I know that they've made quite a few trades with the Seattle Mariners. I remember Gerard Dyson used to be on the Mariners. They traded him. I think it was a part of that Gene Segura deal and everything like that. What have you made so far out of the Arizona Diamondbacks? Because this is a team that I had my parents out here in Vegas over the past week, and I kept telling them to bet the Arizona Diamondbacks that they kept making them money, so I was very happy with them. <laughs> well, shout out to the Peterson parents there. But, uh, you, yeah, you look at the Diamondbacks, and what's been interesting about them is the contributions they've got. I mean, you've got Robbie Ray and Zach Greinke atop your rotation. A really good one-two punch in that National League West. But offensively, I think their biggest surprise has been Cattell Marte, a guy who played in Seattle. He had his 15th home run on Sunday. A guy who was very much a light-hitting middle infielder when he was with the Mariners a couple seasons ago. So to see him go from, I think it was just one home run, his final season in Seattle, to now 15 in the month of June, and we're talking early June still. We're still in the first third of June to have 15 at this point. I mean, if you had told me a couple of years ago that Cattell Marte could be on pace for a 30 to 40 home run season, I would have thought you were insane. And to see him just go out there and hit the way he has, that's a testament to the Diamondbacks coaching staff, and it's a testament to him and the hard work that he's put in. Another surprising guy on that team, Carson Kelly, who came over, I believe it was in the Paul Goldschmidt trade, who was a highly sought-after prospect in the Cardinals system. He's looked pretty good over the last few weeks. Had a, a pretty decent month of May for himself. So I think the Diamondbacks, they've got pieces in place to where, like you said, they may not make the playoffs, but they can make noise in that National League West. And, I mean, outside of the L.A. Dodgers, it's a pretty crowded division with them. At the Rockies, the Padres, all three of those teams are kind of lumped together right now within a game. I look at the Diamondbacks of those three teams probably as having the best shot at the nationally wild card race right now. It's coming down to Atlanta and Chicago currently in the National League. But if there's going to be a third team to jump in that race, jump in that fold, why not the Diamondbacks? They've got a, a tremendous run differential right now, plus 56, certainly much more appealing than the Rockies right now, just plus nine. So if there's going to be a third team to jump into that nationally wild card race, I wouldn't be shocked if it's the Diamondbacks. 
Absolutely. And then is there any team around baseball? I mentioned the Arizona Diamondbacks as a team that I think is heating up. Is there any team that's really standing out to you that you think could have a really good June and July and really put themselves into the playoff hunt if they're not right now? Because I'm very intrigued with what I'm seeing with the Cleveland Indians because I feel like they might have a guy in Zach Plesak that they can really rely upon for some very good starts. Yeah, Cleveland, they're intriguing. I thought Sheen Bieber was going to have a bigger difference on this season. He got off to such a great start, and then on Sunday did not fare well. I think he gave up five runs. I think it was in the first inning or something. He he did not look good, which is interesting because he's such a command pitcher, and he's a guy that will throw strikes and pound the strike zone. They're back over five hundred. So they're within striking distance of that American League wild card, at least the second American League wild card, because you've got Texas right now who would be that second AL wild card team. So they're just a, what, a game and a half back of Texas. They're a team I could see making a run of the postseason. Another team who is in the postseason right now, if the season were to end, but I think is setting themselves up for a really good middle part of the season. It's a team that made a big acquisition this week, and that'd be the Chicago Cubs and their addition of Craig Kimbrell to that bullpen, a bullpen that has struggled this season in a big way. And you add, you know, one of the best closers that baseball has ever seen. Yeah, he did have some shaky moments in the postseason a year ago, but the Cubs adding Craig Kimbrell, you've got a lineup that has so many household names. You know what you're getting with their lineup. And their starting pitching has been pretty good this season. Kyle Hendricks, John Lester, just to name a couple guys. But I think the Cubs right now, the addition of Craig Kimbrell, could really set them up for a really good middle part of the season here. And, and I mean, the Brewers, they've got their work cut out for them. because I mean, the Cubs aren't going away. And I think that's going to be a really hot race in the, the big parts of summer here between the Brewers and the Cubs in the Central. They've kind of distanced themselves from the rest of that division. It was a division that was more clumped together just about a week ago. I remember talking about that with you about a week or so ago. But now the Brewers and Cubs really starting to separate themselves. I think that's going to be one of the best races in baseball coming up in August and September. Absolutely. And the Cardinals laying an egg out there in Chicago this weekend certainly did not help out their cause there. But Curtis, I know that you always know how to help out your cause because you are a tremendous radio show host. You do a little bit of everything out there with 710 ESPN in Seattle. Let the good people at home know where they can find you on social media and just get a little bit more Curtis in their life. (laughs) Well, I'm on Twitter at a kid from Kent. And then you can download my podcast, Seattle Sports at Night, and also Seattle Sports Saturday on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on Spotify. We're all there for you. So, yeah, make sure you're checking that out. Awesome. I am one that certainly checks it out. I encourage you guys to as well. Curtis Rogers, one of the best baseball minds I know. So a big thanks to him for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. 
Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN for joining me in the last segment. As we're back here in the Zunji Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting, now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be noted up on my Twitter feed, at GeneDinarSquare81. Some of these plays are all locked in, good to go, everything like that. Some of these plays in wait-and-see mode, and I will keep you guys informed of that as we go along. And as always, the final numbers that I get on the pending plays are going to be noted on the Twitter feed as well. And we're going to be going in rotation order as always. And that starts with 901-902 on the bang rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks are in Philadelphia to take on the Phillies. Jared Eikhoff goes for the Phillies. Taylor Clark goes for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Your total on this game is 9.5. The over is use of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you like the Diamondbacks, going to get a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 120 and plus 125. Want to lay it with the Phillies. That is between minus 134 and minus 135. You really got to like the recent form of the Arizona Diamondbacks. They were able to go to Toronto. They got a nice sweep there. And then you take a look at what you're seeing for the Philadelphia Phillies. This is an up-and-down team. They're dealing with Andrew McCutcheon, who is going to be out for the year due to his torn ACL. They really have seen a little bit of a dip in their average as well. With the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is one of the better hitting teams out there in baseball. 257 average. The Phillies as a team hitting 242. And right now, their best bet, I would have to say, is Gene Segura in regards to getting on base. He has a 293 average. You do have to like what Reese Hoskins is doing as well. 263 average, 13 home runs, 44 RBI. And then you've got Bryce Harper contributing his 251 average go with 11 home runs and 44 RBI, but we do know this about Bryce Harper. Currently leads the major leagues in regards to strikeouts. Cesar Hernandez has been a very good bat for this team so far this year, but with that said, it does seem like he's falling back to earth a little bit. He was a gentleman that was hitting 300 for most of the year. Now he's hitting 275. You've got JT Riumito who's hitting 274. Jay Bruce has been a very good pickup for this team in about a week with the team. He's already got four home runs and for the year, he's pounded out the home runs with 17 of them between Seattle and Philadelphia. But you also do have Mikel Franco, who has really hit the skids. He's now hitting just a 210. I will say that getting back Scott Kingery in the outfield is big for the team. He's hitting 310. He's able to supply a little bit of pop, but you have to like what you're seeing out of the Arizona Diamondbacks a little bit more with Eduardo Escobar just hitting everything right now. 289 average, 15 home runs, 49 RBI. David Peralta is back in the fold and he's hitting above 300. Christian Walker, who saw a little bit of a struggle out there in May, seems to be back online with his bat as well. For Walker, he now has 12 home runs, hitting 256. Ketel Marte has done a little bit of everything for this team with 15 home runs. He's hitting 270 as well. And then you've got Kevin Crone, who had two home runs in that series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And they're now really starting to get something out of the catcher spot as well. Carson Kelly, home run in back-to-back days himself, 254 average. Tim LaCastro is hitting 250. Nick Amad is hitting 270. Gerard Dyson, 260. So you've got a bunch of really good hitters there with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I like the way that their bullpen is trending as well. Guys like Greg Holland are doing a good job. Archie Bradley had his struggles in May. He seems to be getting back on line as well and then you've got some good long relievers with this team as well and for the Philadelphia Phillies got like the guys that come in for an inning like Hector Neris has been doing a very good job you've also got to like what you're seeing out of 
Pat Neshek and company. So for that reason, going to be playing this total under, but going to be on the Arizona Diamondbacks in this spot. Currently in Wayne C mode on both these numbers. Would like to be able to get maybe a little bit less juice, even more on the under end. Would like to be able to maybe get more of a plus 130 on the Diamondbacks. 903 and 904 on the Bang Rotation. Miami Marlins. Playoffs the St. Louis Cardinals. Michael Waka Waka goes for the St. Louis Cardinals. Sandy Alcantara for the Miami Marlins. Total in this game is 8.5. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you like the St. Louis Cardinals across the board, it's minus 120. The Marlins are between a plus 105 and plus 110 underdog. The Miami Marlins certainly had their come up recently. I believe that they won 12 out of 17 games at one point. We are seeing them come back to earth a little bit as they got swept by the Atlanta Braves. The offense just has not been there for the team so far this year as they are currently dead last in the major leagues with regards to runs per game along with the Detroit Tigers. Both these teams averaging just above three and a half runs per game. And with the Miami Marlins, they have a 235 team average, which means that it's very big that Harold Ramirez has been called up to the big leagues and has been producing at the level that he is. He is hitting above 300 for this team, which has obviously been nice, but missing Neil Walker has been a little bit of an issue for this team. This is a gentleman that has his average right around to 290, so him being out of the fold Really does hurt. You've got Martin Prado going hitting a 237. Miguel Rojas is hitting 270, which is nice. And then you got to like that Jorge Alfaro is hitting 270 to go along with his nine home runs. But then you've got Austin Dean who's hitting a 220. JT Riddle is hitting below the Mendoza line. Curtis Granderson hitting right around 200 himself. Garrett Cooper has been a nice addition. He's hitting 281 for the squad. Obviously, he's been doing a good job there. But Pesce, you don't have a lot there. And then... With the Marlins, we saw it on full display against the Atlanta Braves on Sunday. The bullpen is not very good, led by Submergio Romo, who as a reliever has an ERA near 5. And then you take a look at the flip side for the St. Louis Cardinals. I know that the bullpen hasn't necessarily been nails. Jordan Hicks has had some issues, but it seems like Andrew Miller is doing a little bit of a better job. Greg Gallegos is providing some good bridge innings. And you've got a little bit more with the bats as well, and it's led by Marcel Lazuna going into Sunday Night Baseball. 17 home runs, 54 RBI, hitting 250 for this team. Paul Goldschmidt, 12 dingers of his own. He's not necessarily hitting at the same average that he did last year, but at the same time, 268 is still quite respectable. Matt Carpenter has not necessarily been what he's been in the past. 221 average. Colton Wong has seen a dip in his average to 234. Dexter Fowler's on the downslope as well with the 247, but Paul DeYoung hanging 275 with 10 home runs is nice as well, and Harrison Bader has been up and down this year with his 240 average. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game, and I do think that Michael Waka is finally be able to provide a quality start, though I will say with Michael Waka, don't expect him to go too far because if you take a look at his most recent pitching outings, he has been actually used as a reliever instead of a starter. His last start came on May 22nd. The last two times he's been used was actually in a little bit more of a long relief role. So this could be a spot where you only see him go about four or so innings and then you turn it over to the bullpen from there, which actually makes me like this a little bit more. So going to be riding the St. Louis Cardinals here and the under with the St. Louis Cardinals. I am noticing that they're not necessarily getting a lot of steam right now. So I'm right now in wait and see mode and I would like to be able to light a little bit less juice on the under, but we are going to be on both of those. We move on to 905, 906 on the betting rotation. You've got the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they are in Atlanta facing off against the Bravos. Kevin Gosman goes for the Braves. Joe Musgrove for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 10. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. The Pirates are an underdog in this spot, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 149. 
Meanwhile, if you want to lay it here with the Braves, that's anywhere between minus 155 and minus 159. I do like the fact that Joe Musgrove has provided some quality starts so far this year because Kevin Gosman, he hasn't really been providing too many recently. Kevin Gosman has been a little bit of a human pinata so far this year. You take a look at his numbers, 2-5 record, 6-1-5 ERA in 60 innings. He's only given up seven home runs, but he's just giving up a lot of contact in general. Meanwhile, with Joe Musgrove, it's been a little bit hit or miss with him. He's given up seven home runs in 73 innings, only 20 walks, 4-4-4 ERA, 1-1-9 whip. And the big thing that leads me to being able to trust in Musgrove a little bit more in this spot is you just take a look at Kevin Gosman's last start against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Five innings pitch. Gave up seven runs, all of which were earned. And then the start before that against the Washington Nationals, he made it a whole inning and gave up eight runs. What that means that over, what me, what that means is over his last six innings, he's given up 15 earned runs. Needless to say, that's not good. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you've got some guys that are really raking for this team. Josh Bell, 325 average, 18 home runs, 56 RBI. You've got the guys that are hitting above 300 for this team, like Brian Reynolds, who's hitting a 352. Melky Cabrera has been in and out of the lineup, but he's another gentleman that's hitting above 300. Kevin Newman, just below that with a 299. Adam Frazier is starting to provide a little bit of pop. He's hitting a 253. They're trying to get online some of their more famine bats as well. They are just getting absolutely nothing out of Jungle Kung. He got the start yesterday. He's only hitting a buck fifty, and Jose Azuna sailing below the Mendoza line himself. But Elias Diaz is hitting two eighty one. Sterling Marte a two eighty three. So obviously some good signs there. And the Pirates bullpen seems to be doing a little bit better in recent days. You've got the guys like Felipe Vasquez and Francisco Lariano that are get the that are able to get the job done. And with the Atlanta Braves, they had to tax a lot of their bullpen yesterday in their twelve inning win against the Miami Marlins. And with the Atlanta Braves, you do have some guys that you can really trust in with regards to the bat, and it all starts with Ronald Acuna Jr. He has 14 home runs to go with his 280 average. James V. Swanson has been terrific for this team as well. He's hitting 257 to go, 13 home runs, 43 RBI. Freddie Freeman does a little bit of everything for this team. He's hitting above 310, and he pairs that up with 17 home runs, 41 RBI. Austin Riley is seeing a little bit of a dip in his average. He's now hitting a 290, but in three and a half weeks up at the big leagues, he's already got nine home runs. Josh Donaldson is really going downhill with his average at a 237. Tyler Flowers, a 244. We're even seeing Nick Markakis have his average dip to a 265. So you've got a team that is starting to struggle a little bit with the bat, but you still have Ozzy Elbies as well. He's hitting a 266. He's been able to pound out seven home runs, so it's been a while since his last home run. And then you take a look at what you're getting in general with the bullpen. It's going to be a little bit of a mystery because they had to use a lot of guys yesterday, and I do think that Kevin Gosman is not going to be long for this game, but I do think that the Pirates get a good pitching outing from Joe Musgrove, and I think they're able to win this game. So I've already locked in the plus price here with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Currently, Wayne Seamode on the under. would like to be able to get a little bit more of something unjuiced, but going to be riding both of those as we move on to 907-908 on the bang rotation. The Colorado Rockies play host to the Chicago Cubs. You Darvish goes for the Cubs. Herman Marquez for the Colorado Rockies. Your total on this game is 11. The over is anywhere between even at minus 105. The under is between minus 115 and minus 120. If you're looking at the Rockies, going to be laying anywhere between minus 135 and minus 140 plus price here with the Cubs. Anywhere between plus 125 and plus 128. You Darvish actually pitched better against the Rockies when these teams met up last week than Herman Marquez did when they went up against the Cubs. I believe that Marquez gave up eight earned runs in his last start, but I don't expect 
expect that to be the case once again. Right now, Marquez is giving up a little bit less than a home run per nine innings. 6-3 record, 407 ERA. He's got 88 punch-outs in 92 thirds innings, 18 walks. Meanwhile, you Darvish, this guy has a massive walks problem. He's giving out nearly six walks per nine innings, two and three record, 488 ERA, and he's given up 11 home runs in 66 and a third innings. I will say that Hugh Darvish has pitched a little bit better recently, but with the Colorado Rockies, this is a team that has been doing a terrific job of hitting all year long. I know that they had a couple games in New York where they didn't necessarily get it all going on, but a guy that does have it all going on is Nolan Arenado. 16 home runs. 331 average, 55 RBI, and then you're pairing that up with a guy in Trevor Story that has went deep 15 times so far this year. He's got a very good batting average himself at a 289. Charlie Blackman is now back in the fold after being placed on the 10-day injured list. He's got a 295 average. David Dahl is hitting 330. Daniel Murphy and Ian Desmond have both picked up their averages after very slow starts of the year. You've got Murphy now hitting a 250. Desmond more in the realm of a 240. Remy Altapia is falling back to earth with his 262 average, and Ryan McMahon is just hitting 240. But all in all, you've got some very productive bats out there for the Colorado Rockies. And then you also have some very good relievers that did not pitch yesterday in Brian Shaw and Wade Davis. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side for the Chicago Cubs. Going into Sunday Night Baseball, this was a team that was really firing all cylinders with the bats as well. Javi Baez really leading the charge with regards to his average at a 304. He's pounded out 16 home runs to go with 44 RBI. A man that also has 16 home runs and 44 RBI, Anthony Rizzo. You've got Wilson Contreras in the lineup. He's hitting right around a 290. He's been providing the power as well. He's got 13 home runs. Chris Bryant has 13 dingers to go with his 270 average. Kyle Schwarber has his average up to a 233 to go with his 12 home runs. Carlos Gonzalez has been with the team only a couple games, so he should be able to provide them a little bit of a boost. And then you've got David Bodie, who had a 7 RBI game last week against the Colorado Rockies as well. But I will say that I do think that the Rockies are going to get a much better start in this game out of Herman Marquez. And I do like the relievers a little bit more than with the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs do get Pedro Strope off the injured list, but he has not necessarily been great the past couple years. I will also say that Brad Brock has been letting the team down. And then you've got Carl Edwards Jr. And you just don't know what you're going to get there. So for that reason, going to be riding the Colorado Rockies and the under in this spot. Would like to be able to get a little bit less juice on the under. Would like to be able to get a little bit more of a favorable price on the Colorado Rockies. But we are going to be riding with both of those. As we move on to 909-910 on the betting rotation, it is the Texas Rangers. And they are in Boston to face off against the Red Sox. Chris Sale goes for the Sox. Mike Miner goes for the Rangers. Your total on this game, 8.5. The unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Red Sox, going to lay it here. Anywhere between minus 230 and minus 240. Plus price with the Rangers is between plus $2 and plus 210. Chris Sale has won two starts so far this year, and yet people are wanting you to lay minus 230 here. You just can't do it. I know that Chris Sale is a terrific pitcher. He had a complete game at his last start. He looked very good. Keep in mind, that last start was against the Kansas City Royals and the Texas Rangers, even without Joey Gallo, who's hitting 276 to go, 17 home runs being out of the fold. They still have a couple guys that are able to match, and it all starts with underpens. 13 home runs, 41 RBI, 281 average. 
Elvis Andrews has been doing a great job of being able to get on base himself. With Andrews, this is a gentleman that's hitting a little bit above 300. Sin Chu Chu has been in and out of the lineup for the Texas Rangers, but he's a gentleman that's able to hit 300 as well if he's going to be able to go in this game. You take a look at what you're also getting out of Danny Santana. He's hitting 290 as Rubio Cabrera, 256 average. He's been able to really help himself out as he's got 10 home runs. You do have the famine bats as well. Jeff Mathis, Isaiah Kinnear-Felfa, Ronald Guzman, Rudnad Odor, all guys hitting 231 or lower, but then you've got Noah Mazar as well as sitting at 265. He's providing a little bit of pop. And then with the Boston Red Sox, this is a squad that has Mitch Moreland going with two with 13 home runs, but just a 225 average. Rafael Devers has been doing a nice job for this team with his 300 average, but we saw this team have some not-so-good offensive outputs against the Tampa Bay Rays, and that has led to Mookie Betts' batting average go all the way down to a 267 to go with his 10 home runs. Christian Vasquez is hitting 276. You've got Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez both hitting in the realm of a 290 with 13 home runs, but J.D. Martinez has been missing in recent days as well. Michael Javis has a 247 average to go with his 10 home runs, but then you've got Eduardo Nunez, Jackie Bradley Jr., Sandy Leon, and then a new gentleman in the fold for the outfield in Sam Travis, all hitting a 221 or worse, so that leaves a whole lot of something to be desired. So I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring game, and I really like what I've seen out of Mike Miner so far this year. Just a 5-4 and four record, but he's giving up less than a home run per nine innings, 1-2-2 whip, he's got good swing and miss stuff, he's getting nearly 10 strikeouts per nine innings. Chris Sale doing a great job of being able to get punch outs in 77 and a third innings, 110 strikeouts, but he's also given up 11 home runs in those 77 and a third innings as well, which is why he's got an ERA of a 384. Certainly should have a better record than a 2 and 7, but I think the Rangers get to him a little bit, and I like what I've seen recently out of the Texas Rangers bullpen as well. They're starting to get guys like Jeffrey Springs and company to be able to give them quality innings. So for that reason, taking the plus price here with the Texas Rangers and the under, would like to be able to get an unjuiced total, and I would like to see if I'm able to get a little bit more on the Rangers since the Red Sox are such a public team, but we're going to be riding both of those. 9-11, 9-12 on the bang rotation. You've got the Oakland A's and they are in Tampa Bay to face off against the Rays. This is a pitching mismatch right here, people, as you've got Charlie Morton going for the Tampa Bay Rays. Tanner Anderson for the Oakland A's. The A's did not decide upon a starter until yesterday afternoon. So for that reason, this game is currently off the board. This is the first career start for Tanner Anderson, but he did make a couple appearances with the Pittsburgh Pirates last year. In six total games, he wound up giving them 11 and a third innings as a long relief guy, and it didn't necessarily go well. He had a 1-0 record, but he also had a 6.35 ERA. This is a gentleman that wound up just being unable to get anything going. He had six and a half walks per nine innings, 4.8 strikeouts per nine innings. And then you take a look at what he did at AAA this year with the Oakland A's. 4-4 record, 6.75 ERA, and 54 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 14 home runs. For those meth whizzes out there, that's 2.3 home runs per nine innings. He's given out 4.3 walks per nine innings. He's got 6.1 strikeouts per nine innings. These are minor league numbers, people. And he's going up against Charlie Morton, who has been sensational this year. 7-0 record, 2.30 ERA right now in 71 and a third innings. He's got 91 punch outs and he's given up four home runs. I don't understand anyone that could sit here and say, you know what? I think the Oakland A's have value here. I have no idea what the starting line is going to be. 
I think that you're probably going to see the Tampa Bay Rays as like a $2 favorite, and I'm going to be all aboard the run line in the spot. You take a look at what the Tampa Bay Rays just did. They wound up taking three or four from the Boston Red Sox, and it's all led by Austin Meadows, who has been absolutely sensational for this team. Austin Meadows currently has his average at a 346. He pairs that up with 12 home runs to 38 RBI. Brandon Lowe ripping the cover off the ball himself. 288 average, 13 home runs, 41 RBI. Avisail Garcia has went deep 11 times so far this year. He's got a solid average at a 300. Travis no, not necessarily lighting the world on fire with his average right around the Mendoza line, but he's went deep three times in the past five days. Willie Adama seems to be coming back to earth with his average at a 241. And Christian Arroyo is outing below the Mendoza line. Guillermo Heredia has been a nice find. 263 average there. G-Man Choi has his average above a 280, which is where Tommy Pham's average is. Yandy Diaz is now hitting 270. He's gone deep 10 times despite being on the injured list. And then with the Tampa Bay Rays, you've just got such a trustworthy bullpen. And I will say for the Oakland A's, they do have a couple decent relievers as well. You can rely upon guys like J.B. Wendelkirk, like Trine and company, but I just think that this is a game in which we're going to see poor Tanner get just completely ripped apart by the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm going to be looking at the Rays' run line. Total on this game is going to have to depend. If you're seeing like a 9.5, I could actually see this going under because I could see a Tampa Bay Rays like 7-1, to 8-1 style win. But that total is going to depend, but I can tell you right now, barring something very, very drastic, going to be all aboard the run line of the Tampa Bay Rays, who, oh, by the way, in 90% of their wins have won by two-plus runs. That's pretty darn impressive. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting rotation. You do have the New York Mets, and they are in town to face off against the New York Yankees. Masahiro Tanaka goes for the New York Yankees. Jason Vargas for the New York Mets. Your total on this game is 9 half. The, un- the over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Mets, plus price here is between plus 158 and plus 162. Want to lay it with the Yankees. That's between minus 173 and minus 175. Tanaka has been a little bit knocked around recently. And Jason Vargas is actually coming off a complete shutout in his last start. This is a guy in Jason Vargas that was not giving you a lot of length for, I would say, the past couple years, but he really put it together a few nights ago when he was able to get a complete game shutout against the San Francisco Giants. And ever since coming off the injured list, he has actually been very, very spectacular. In his three starts ever since coming off the injured list, he's allowed a combined two runs in 21 innings. This is not a gentleman that's going to give you a whole lot of swings and misses. And let's face it, we all know with the New York Mets what you're getting out of the bullpen. Guys like Robbie Gazelman, Taylor Batchelor, Corey Oswalt and company, they're just giving away runs like they're candy. But with Jason Vargas, I do think that he can give the New York Mets seven-plus innings in the start And Masahiro Tanaka. Right now, 3-5 record, 3.42 ERA. In 76 and a third innings, he's given up 11 home runs, which has really been the issue with him. It's not like he's getting completely shelled or anything like that. It just hasn't been good enough to win, I guess you could say, and obviously that's all that matters in this industry. And with the New York Mets, you do have a couple guys who are able to hit quite well. Jeff McNeil at the top of the lineup hitting a 335. How about that man, Pete Alonso? 21 home runs, 49 RBI. He's hitting in the realm of 265. Things have been going very well for him. This team is starting to get a little bit of something out of the Todd father, Todd Frazier. 265 average for him. He's got six singers and a limited amount of headbats. 
at Denny Hechevarria is hitting 254. Amid Rosario, 249. Michael Conforto, double digit amount of home runs to go with his 260 average. And then you've got Dominic Smith, who's hitting 360 with nearly a home run every 20 at bat said. He's stepping to the plate as well. And JD Davis, contributing a 260 average as well. You do have a couple guys like Carlos Gomez and Tomas Nito. They're not holding up their end of the bargain, and Wilson Ramos has been in and out of the lineup, but I like what I'm seeing out of the Mets. Meanwhile, with the New York Yankees, this is a squad that's certainly hitting quite well. DJ LeMayu, 321 average, you go with 41 RBI. Gary Sanchez, 19 home runs so far this year. He's hitting right around to 260. You've got Luke Voigt, who is supplying a lot of power as well. For Voigt, his average is hovering right around a 263, and he's been able to supply 15 home runs. D.D. Gregorius is now in the fold. He was used as a pinch hitter yesterday. You gotta think that he's fresh and good to go today. Glaber Torres is hitting a 275. He's been a little bit of a cold streak, but all in all still 14 home runs for the year. Brett Gardner has seen a dip in his average to a 217. You've also got Kendrys Morales, who's just providing nothing right now, but Gio Urshela still hitting a 309. Cameron Maven, a 289. Aaron Hicks is working his way off the injured list. He's hitting a 227, but all in all, I do think that the Mets get a very good start here from Jason Vargas. I think they get to Masahiro Tanaka in a little bit of a lower-scoring game. So for that reason, going to be riding the New York Mets and the under in this spot. would like to be able to see if I can get a little bit of a better number on this under. would like to be able to see if it goes to even juice or perhaps a 10. And obviously, I'm going to look to maximize the full value I can get on the New York Mets as well, but going to be riding both of those. We go to 9-15, 9-16 on the bank rotation. The Washington Nationals are in Chicago to face off against the White Sox. Anibal Sanchez goes for the Washington Nationals. As of right now, the Chicago White Sox have their starter listed as to be determined. That means that this game is off the board. I hear he's a little bit of a mystery, but delivers good heat. And someone else that has been delivering recently is actually Anibal Sanchez. He got off to just a horrific start to the year, but when he faced off against the White Sox last week, went five and a third innings, had seven strikeouts, gave up just one run. As a matter of fact, you take a look at his last five starts, he's given up zero runs in three of them, one run in that one, and then he gave up three runs in four and a third innings against the LA Dodgers. So this is a gentleman that has certainly been able to settle down. He's only given up more than three runs once since April 3rd. So this actually seems to be going a little bit better for Mr. Sanchez. We do know that with the Washington Nationals, though, the bullpen a little bit suspect. And when I say a little bit, I mean that they have the worst DRA out there in the big leagues. And then with the White Sox, Right now, their projected starter was Dylan Covey. He has been placed on the 10-day injured list, which is why right now you are just sort of in that wheel of I have no idea who the heck they're going to be bringing in as a starter. But with the White Sox, I will say this. They've got a top-10 bullpen out there in the big league. So even if they bring someone up and he gets blown up, you do have guys like Josh Osich. Carson Fulmer, Jace Fry, and company that you're able to rely upon for some solid innings. I do like what I've seen out of the bullpen. And I do like what I'm seeing out of the White Sox in general. Eloy Jimenez is only hitting right around a 235, but he had that big home run against the Kansas City Royals yesterday. Jose Abreu, 250 average, 16 home runs, 52 RBI. Tim Anderson is providing a very good average for this team with a 322. You got to like what you've seen out of Yomer Sanchez as well. This is a gentleman that got off to a tough start to the year. Now hitting 249. Charlie Tilson hitting a 275. Yohan Mankata, 294 is his average. And he does a little bit of everything, including 12 home runs. Luis Garcia is hitting 281 at the top of the lineup. James McCann has certainly been providing a great average for this team as well with a 325. And then you look at the flip side for the Washington Nationals. You do like what you're seeing out of Anthony Rendon. This is a team that had four guys go deep all in the eighth inning against the San Diego Padres and one of those was Anthony Rendon. 
320 average, 11 home runs, 41 RBI. He's been delivering for the team. But how about Howie Kendrick? This is a gentleman that really has been off the radar so far this year. He's got 11 home runs, and he's really doing a great job of being able to slug for the team with a 327 average. Jan Gomes and Gerardo Parra are leaving a little bit of something to be desired at the bottom of the lineup. Those two, along with Brian Dozier, all hitting between 225 and 230. But Matt Adams providing a 252 average. Juan Soto has been in a little bit of a funk the past few days, but he's still hitting a 285. Has provided 10 home runs, 38 RBI. Trey Turner at the top of the lineup has his average up to a 275. Adam Eaton is hitting a 263 as well. And with the Washington Nationals, this is a squad that has been putting up more runs recently. So I might be looking at an over here and... It's all going to have to depend on the Chicago White Sox starter because if they're bringing out someone that, like a Manuel Benuelos or something, I'm certainly going to be taking the other side and I'm going to be taking the Washington Nationals on the run line. If they're bringing in someone a little bit more trustworthy, I might look at the White Sox with the value and the fact that they're going to have by far the better bullpen. But check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRScore81 for that. And we wrap things up with 917-918 on the bank rotation. The Battle of LA as the Angels play host to the Dodgers. Hunjin Ryu goes for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Griffin Cannon goes for the LA Angels. Your total on this game is 8.5. The unders minus 115. The overs minus 105. If you're looking at the Dodgers, that is anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165. Plus price here with the Angels. It's anywhere between plus 148 and plus 152. You really have to like the under in this spot. With the LA Angels, they're averaging right around 4.8 runs per game in night games. And I will say that the LA Dodgers have been superb on offense so far this year, but it seems like it sometimes comes and goes. And Griffin Canning has actually been very good for the Angels. In his seven career starts, only one of those totals has gone over. In the month of May, he had a 250 RA, with opponents just hitting 176 against him. I will say this for Griffin Canning, he definitely lends himself to a little bit of hard contact, but a man that certainly is not is Hunjin Ryu. This is a gentleman with a 9-1 record, ERA is hovering right around a 135. And what's even more impressive than that is his starts ever since the start of May. In his last seven starts, he's giving up a half a walk per nine innings, 0.51 ERA, and he's going seven and a half innings per start. This guy has been absolute magic. He is absolutely sensational. Now, we do know that with the Dodgers... Their big bugaboo is their bullpen. You've got guys like Emi Garcia, Caleb Ferguson, and company that you really can't trust in. The Angels have similar issues, but I do think that both these gentlemen are going to be able to deliver a good start. I mentioned the hard contact with Canning. He's given up seven home runs in 38 and a third innings, but all in all, still doing a good job. You do have to think that the Dodgers are going to be able to get to him for a couple runs, though. Cody Bellinger, 355 average, 20 home runs, 54 RBI. He has been absolutely sensational for this team. You've got Josh Scherner, who has not really been getting the job done with regards to home run power, but he still is hitting a 312. Max Munsky has been providing a little bit more home run power himself. He has a 278 average. He went deep yesterday for his 13th home run. I will say that Chris Taylor is not really finding it with the bat, along with Austin Barnes and Kike Hernandez. All these guys hitting a 220 or lower. But you do have Corey Seager, who's really found it. He's now hitting a 271. That has been a big boost for this team. And then you take a look at the other side for the LA Angels. It's been a little bit hit or miss for them so far this year. Mike Trout is still Mike Trout, 299 average, 17 home runs. 42 RBI. Gotta like what you're getting out of Tommy LaStella as well, though. With Tommy LaStella, this is a gentleman that's hitting above 300. And David Fletcher, gotta give him a little bit of credit as well. This is also a gentleman that is hitting above 300, but with LaStella, 15 home runs so far this year. 
Albert Pujols has only been hitting a 236, but he's certainly been supplying some power. He's got 11 dingers on the year. Brian Goodwin is hitting a 288, but Jonathan Lucroy, a couple weeks ago, this guy was hitting in the neighborhood of 265, 270. He's now hitting a 228. Things are not going well for him. Luis Rengifo is hitting a 232. You've got Cesar Puello, who in limited at-bats is hitting above a 450, but Joey Otani only hitting a 250 himself. So in this spot, I am looking at the Dodgers run line, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. With the total under, I've already locked that one in. I certainly think that we're going to see a very good pitching matchup in this one. And Hunjin Ryu could go a complete game and not give up a single run once again. And with the run line of the Dodgers, currently seeing minus 105 there. would like to be able to get a plus price if possible, but we'll be certainly taking that at some point. And that will do it for the Monday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to my man Curtis Rogers out there with 710 ESPN out in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at GunitNR41. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. And I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.